Where you invest your love, you invest your life. And I think maybe at the start of the year, it's probably a good question to ask, where are you investing your love? Where are you investing your life? And how would you know? Like, what are the concrete things you could point to that show where you investing your love and your life? Well, I think there's a couple obvious things. Where are you investing your time? Right? What do you pour your time into? You have 168 hours a week, no more, no less. And what are you doing with that time? What are the, the blocks of things that you're investing with with your, with your time? What, what, where, is it school? Is it relationships? Is it, is it family? Is it friends? Is it, is it work? I'm sure you're putting in time there. Is it sleep? Is it exercise? Is it food? Like, Where are you investing your time? Because you only have so much. What are you doing with that? Because it might reveal where your, where your heart is, where your, where, where your life is. Where are you investing your money? You only have so much money. Some of you make a lot of money. Some of you don't make a lot of money. But you only have so much. And you have to pour it somewhere. You have to invest in it somewhere. You have to, you have to take it and do something with it. What are you doing with your money? Because that reveals a little bit about what you care about and where your heart is, right? So where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your money? Where are you investing your energy? You only have so much energy. What has got you buzzing right now? What are you so excited about? Can't wait for in this year. Uh, what do you think about? Where, what are your daydreams about? What are your night dreams about? Those can get weird. But like generally, like where is your energy being spent? Because you only have so much time, so much money, so much energy. And, and those things, if we were to look at them, they would, they would probably tell you a little bit about where you are investing your life and, and where you're investing your love. Now, I'm a, I'm a preacher in a Christian church. And so what I'm going to tell you probably will not surprise you. In fact, you would expect me to say something like this. But I want to sort of lay this statement out here as um, maybe undergirding this entire series that we're about to start into today. I want to put this idea out here, and then hopefully I'll back it up over the course of the next few minutes. But I truly believe the best investment you can make with your life is to invest in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I truly believe of all the investments of time, money, energy, all the things you could do with your life, I think the best investment you could make with your life is to invest in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Because if you do that, if you, do, if you will make that A1 priority, this is the thing I want to get good at this year, if you'll do that, it changes everything else that you'll do. It, it changes how you date, who you marry, how, how, how you talk to your children. It, it, it changes how you think about parenting. It changes what you think about your education or school or where you want to go or work or, or all sorts of relationships. It changes all of that stuff. And, and I know that's maybe a, a, a bold statement, but I think that's been proven all throughout history that more than any other change that you could make in your life, getting into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the X factor that changes everything else. Throughout history, people have become martyrs. People have given their lives. They have poured everything that they have out for God and, and changed the course of history. It, it's going to matter more than if you're single, if you married someone this year, if you're going to get married this year, that's a big change. No question. But this change, if you decide to follow God, would actually change things more. If you have children this year, man, that's a big change. That'll, that'll rock your world. But it wouldn't change your life as much as if you actually get into a relationship with your Creator, with your Heavenly Father, through His Son, Jesus Christ. That one decision 
uh, to follow after him affects everything. And, and I, I know of almost no decision you could make that would affect everything. And so I want to talk about investing uh, over these next five weeks of, of, of how we can invest our lives and, and the kind of return that we can expect, the ROI, the return on investment that we can expect when we invest our lives into a, a couple key relationships and a couple key areas that we'll, we'll talk about over the next couple weeks. But today I just want to talk about generally investing your life into a relationship with God. Now, you need to think about that really carefully before you do it, because any investment that you're going to make, you should probably think it through. If you're going to pour time, money, energy, the question you ask yourself before you invest in the stock market or in a relationship with a friend or getting married to someone or whatever, the question you ask is, whether you say it out loud or not, you'll, you, the question you're asking is, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Is it really going to make that big of a difference if I, if I pour into this? What will be my return on, on that investment? Is God really worth that uh, amount of my time, money, and energy? You know, if you're going to invest in stock market, you're going to mutual fund or something like that, they publish something called a prospectus. And a prospectus is the stock uh, and how it is performed historically, how the company is doing, what its prospects are, the, the trends. You can look at the sort of the graph to see how has this thing been doing over time. And you look at this prospectus. It's, it's the whole company kind of on paper. And so what I want to do today is kind of give you a prospectus about God because I want you to invest your life in, into a relationship with him. And, and so I want you to know what you're getting into when, when you get into a relationship with, with God. Now, for some of you, this will be brand new to you. Okay, relationship with God, like I've been aware that maybe God exists or I'm not sure. All right, what are we getting into? And, and for others of you, you, you're on that road. You're saying, hey, I am investing in God. And I, and I want this to be a good uh, reminder to you of where we are and, and, and really where we're going with this thing. And to, to do that, I want to point you to a guy in the New Testament named Paul. Paul was a guy who had his life radically changed by God, and he ended up investing all of his time, money, and energy for the rest of his life uh, into doing God's work here on earth. And he's, he ended up starting a bunch of churches all around the Mediterranean um, in, in like the years 40, 50 AD, somewhere around there, up through about 60, and he died in the early 60s in Rome. And Paul invested in his relationship with God and invested in starting churches. Now, when I say starting churches, I don't mean opening up church buildings. That, that kind of idea comes later in the, the history of Christianity. What Paul did was got together and invested in people and poured his life out into people and gathered them into groups, and they formed this gathering called the church. Not, not a building, but a group of people all moving together in the same direction on the same mission. And so Paul invested in them. And one of the groups he invested in was in a, is a city called Ephesus in western Turkey. And Ephesus was a really important town in the Roman Empire, and it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty powerful, and then some things shifted for it, and it eventually the, the, the city's no longer there. It, in fact, it, it still is there if you go to western Turkey. It's, I think, the largest archaeological site in the world. So you can see the remains of Ephesus. It's pretty impressive. But Paul helped start a church there, and he worked with a... Um, a, a, a young, someone he mentored, a young guy named Timothy, and Timothy ended up pastoring a church there. And so you'll see letters from Paul to Timothy in the New Testament, and you'll see a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus, the, the letters called Ephesians in the New Testament. And I want you to hear um, how Paul describes uh, what God has done and, and what our relationship with God can be like as he describes it in Ephesians. So we're going to look at Ephesians. We're just going to go through 10, 10 verses today of Ephesians. And I want us to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. This is really the heart of, of 
what we would call the gospel message. And, and I want you to hear it just kind of start this year off. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1, we'll put it up on the screen. This is how he describes us, okay? And he's talking to this church in Ephesus, but these things apply, can apply to us as well. He says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right, that's a heavy start to that. Um, here, here's, here's what he's telling us. You, you and I, in, in, in talking to the, the, these new believers, these new Christians that were at Ephesus, he's saying, um, here's how it was for you, guys. You were dead before Jesus came along. Before Jesus entered the world and brought salvation and brought hope, you were dead in your sins and, and your trespasses. You, you were following, he says, the prince of this air, uh, basically the, the ruler of this world, basically Satan. He was saying, you and I were following Satan in some way before uh, God got a hold of our lives. Now, don't get weirded out by that. It's not like, okay, you're a Christian or you're a devil worshiper. You know, you're not like playing records backwards in your house and having seances and drawing pentagrams on things. Um, but there is uh, a power at work in this world that Satan is at work in this world and, and influences the culture and, and sort of drives things in a certain direction, basically away from God in order to pull us away from a relationship with our, with our creator, and, and following that road, following the culture, going down that road, following Satan, whether we ever know we're following Satan or not, or anything like that, uh, that road leads to death. There's no hope there. There's no life there. There's no vitality to be found there when we follow after the, the ruler of, of this world. Now, let me make that a little more concrete for you. When Paul's writing in the first century to this church, there's really two kinds of people that are going to be involved in the church. There are Jews, people who would come from a Jewish background, ethnically, religiously Jewish. Now, for Jews, think of Jews in the first century, at least in that part of the world, as kind of like, these are like the good boys and girls, like, like the rule followers, because they have a lot of rules. There are 612-ish laws in the Old Testament, and so they're trying to live by all of those laws. And then in the first century and, and in the centuries around that, they're making up laws about the laws. So you have one law, and then you have like 30 more laws about that law. And it's all about keeping the rules correctly. Do the right thing. Do this, don't do that. Eat this, don't eat that. Uh, spend your time here, don't go there. You know, like rules about sanitation, rules about relationships, rules about family, all, all of this stuff. There's all these laws the Jews are trying to follow as best they can and trying to be good boys and girls. And honestly, at the end of the day, all of that rule keeping, checking boxes, all that law following is exhausting. It's just so hard to do, to just get it right, when there are so many rules that you're trying to follow. And the Jews really, historically, and, and certainly in the first century, were just exhausted from this. Because you just know, I can't be a good boy or girl. And you know this in your own life. You don't have, maybe you haven't lived under Jewish law, but there are rules your parents put on you, your teachers put on you. There's things you grew up, do this, get these grades, be this kind of person, be a good boy or girl. And you know what that's like. And you've tried to jump over those, the, the bar that they set and you've tried to jump through all the hoops that they ask you to jump through, but it's exhausting. Trying to be perfect all the time will wear you out. And the laws 
in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, are not there to, 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 uh, so you can be just perfect. The laws are there to remind you of what morality is, what ethics are, to show you uh, what it means to be in a relationship with God, and to remind you that you can't be perfect, that you're going to blow it. And so when Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he's talking to people, some of which were kind of religious, and they were trying to do right. And he's like, there's death in this. You won't ever get it. You can never nail it on your own. You're never going to be good enough, no matter how good you are. And maybe some of us, that's our story. You've tried to be the good boy and girl. You've tried to follow all the rules and check all the boxes, and it hasn't worked out. And, and, and I think you know, like, man, this isn't possible to keep up this pace. So some of who Paul's writing to are people like that. And then the rest of the people that Paul would be writing to in this letter are Gentiles. Gentiles are the non-Jews, the Roman citizens. Think about whatever you know about Rome from whatever show was on Netflix about it, okay? Or whatever, like or something you learned in history class. Rome, the power, the glory, the domination, the lust, the, 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 the violence, the, 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 all that is Rome. This is the Roman Empire that, that, that he's writing to. People living in the Roman Empire, they're living under that rule of the eagle and the, and the warriors and the, you know, that, that kind of thing. And they live in that, and so your average Gentile sort of pagan, right, Roman citizen is going to be worshiping 20 gods or whatever from the different gods that they all have, and, and will just be kind of living that, that culture and, and, and doing that thing. And so uh, Paul says, look, you also were dead in your trespasses and sins. This was not going to lead you to life. This wasn't going anywhere good for you as you continue to follow that sort of unethical hot mess that, that is the, the Roman culture. And so even if you're trying to be a good Jewish boy and girl, that's not going to get you there. That leads to death. Even if you're trying to be this normal sort of Gentile Roman citizen, that's not going to get you anywhere. That is going to lead to death. There's no vitality there. Now let me put this in modern terms because we are living in a culture now that is neither Jewish nor Roman, right? If Paul wrote this letter and said, hey, you were dead in your sins and like it was a hot mess, and he's writing to modern-day America, what would he be describing? What is the spirit of this age? What is the culture that we really live in? Well, let me give you five things, and I think we could do these pretty quickly, and there's, there's more. But if you're sort of to take the philosophical, moral, ethical, cultural temperature of America in 2018, uh, here's a couple things you would, you would say. One, America is really into consumerism. Right? Just across the world, we're the ones that buy a lot of stuff and go through a lot of stuff. I'm not going to belabor this point. I did a whole sermon on it about a month ago. But America is the consumer culture, and that affects what you think about the value of things. Can I buy it? Can I, you know, it, it, what's the value? Of, what's the price tag I can put on things? So consumer culture is, is huge in, in what, it's just the air we breathe right now. It's, one, it's a big story that we tell ourselves is you need to acquire more. Number two, secularism. Um, our culture, if the rest of the world looks at America like it's a Christian country, and there, it's true there are a lot of Christians here, uh, but I think there's been a, enough of a shift, and I'm not one of these guys that gets all like, oh my gosh, Americans are being persecuted for their faith, because people are in Syria and other places, that Egypt, and there's a lot of stuff going on that doesn't happen in America, so I don't want to like throw that flag or whatever, but I will say, I think there is a shift in the last I don't know, 2050, it's probably been going on much longer than that, years, 
uh, to, to a more secular worldview that says, like, eh, not so much about the God thing. Let's just stay focused on either no God, we'll be agnostic on that point, or just some sort of generic spirituality that isn't connected to God at all and morality or any of that stuff. So there's consumerism, secularism in America. Number three, nationalism. Uh, people get super excited about, you know, the, the flag and apple pie and baseball and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, that's just a narrative in our culture, that nationalism is the thing, that it's, it's America first and all that kind of stuff. Don't send me emails about it. Uh, I understand why people get excited about their country. Um, I'm just saying that is a dominant narrative in our culture. Uh, consumerism, secularism, uh, nationalism. Number four, progressivism. This idea, and this is big, this is all over our culture, this idea of like what's hot now. And what we believe now is better than what we believed five years ago. And what we understand about everything now is smarter than what we understood a year, five, 20 years ago. And technology is getting us to this sort of utopian place and we're getting better and better all the time. And we're smarter than we used to be. And we're certainly smarter than our parents and our grandparents. Those people were dumb. It's always like moving forward. This is the mindset of our culture. It's a progressivism idea. And then finally, there's a cynicism that pervades our culture. Um, and, and, I, and you've seen it, I've seen it, I've given into it at times like this, and it's not just uh, the young, it's not just people who are 20 or whatever that are, ah, everything's stupid. It's like all of us, it's infecting all of us. There's this, this idea that behind everything beautiful must be something ugly. There's, mm, you look kind of, you question everything. Everything is fake news, everything is like not to be trusted, and, and these, are, these are five messages that are kind of being shouted at us in the, the culture. And so when we talk about, when Paul says in Ephesians 2, the spirit of the air, this is, this is putting your finger up and testing the wind. This is what the spirit of the air, what, what it is in our culture right now. And our culture pushes these things all day long for hours a day. Uh, through CNN and Fox News and NPR and, and, and Wall Street and, and Silicon Valley and, and the government, all of these things sort of working together to kind of sell those messages to us at all times. And, and the reality is, just like in Rome, these things lead to death. There's no future there. There's no utopia there. And Paul points us to an entirely different story about the nature of reality about what we're here for. He points us to this in Ephesians chapter 2. Continue on, verse 4, it says this. But God, let me stop there for a second. <laughs> this is the greatest conjunction in the Bible. This is the great, because he's just said, everything is awful. Culturally, this is dead. It's bankrupt. You, this was your life. You followed after the world, and, and, and you sinned. You messed up. You've blown it. It was dark, man. That's what he's saying. And then he says, oh, but wait for it. But God, God has stepped in. He's done something. What has he done? What is the, the, the entirely different narrative than our culture? What is it? Ephesians two, uh, verse 4, we'll, pick, we'll take, take it from there. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, God has done something in history 
And he did it through a man, his son, Jesus Christ. He brought Jesus in the world who was crucified, who was nailed to a cross, who bled out on a cross in Jerusalem for our sins, for everything we've ever done wrong. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God has intervened on our behalf and has saved us, has made a way for us to be in a loving relationship with him, with our creator for eternity. This is what God has done, and Paul's telling us that. And he, and he says, Jesus came back from the dead. Um, he, he was made alive again, and you get to come back from the dead also. This is why Christians, they use this term, being born again. You get a rebirth, a, a new shot at life because of what God has, has done. And, and that changes, this idea, this narrative changes everything. Do you see that? Like your future is different because of what God has done. When you give your life to him, it changes the course of your life. And because your future is different, your present is different. How you live here and now, what you care about, what you worry about, where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you spend your energy, these things can be different because what God, because what God has done for you. It, it gives you the long view on life. The, the life that I have, the 70 years or however many I get here on earth, this is just the beginning. This is just the warm-up because I've got eternity after that with God. And so I don't need to get everything that I want here in life, here and now. I don't need to grab it all because if I, you know, I don't need to get all like FOMO and YOLO and whatever. Like I don't need to get all that because uh, I have a future that's way better than this one. I have hope. The real game starts when I die. And that reality changes what I think about employment, what I think about sexuality, what I think about money, what I think about career, what I think about relationships. Playing that long game affects how you view the short game. Now, Paul is clear that it is God's grace towards you. So none of us can boast about it. It's not like how awesome we are. That's why we get to be saved. No, we were dead and God has made us alive. Look at what he says, continuing on in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's only by God's grace, his unmerited favor, that we can stand before him. Our standing with God, being in a right relationship with him, is not on our works, Paul says. It's not on what you do. It's not on, oh, I gave money to the church, therefore God and I are good. Oh, I gave time at the, I volunteered at the thing, therefore God and I are good. Oh, my, you know, my energy is being poured in this, therefore God and I are good. That's not it. You're not earning this. Paul's going out of his way to say, it's not about earning. You were dead. God made you alive. Now, you still do good works. You're, yes, be generous. Yes, give time. Yes, give money. Yes, give your energy to something, but not to earn what you already have. But because you already have it, that's why you, that's why you do these good things. You, you, that's why it flows out of you. You go, man, I am so loved by God. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pass that on to other people. I'm going to invite other people into a relationship with God. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give you, do these other things because what has God, God has done for you. You don't do it so that God will be like, oh, you are so in right now. I am so proud of you. You just really impressed me. That's, that's, not, that's not it. It's his grace towards us. 
because we were dead in sin. We were steeped in this culture, and, it, and God rescued us. And then it says, we are, verse 10 said, we are God's workmanship. That word workmanship in Greek is the word poema, which we get our word poetry. Doesn't that sound better? We are God's poetry. Isn't that great? God is writing something beautiful through you and through me, through our lives. We give our lives to him, and he, he's got stuff for you to do. He's got vision. He's got direction for you. He's got a way for you to walk. He's got, and he's prepared it in advance. He's got a plan for you. And, and he wants to make poetry out of, out of your life. I think that's powerful. So in the next four weeks, we're going to talk about, sort of unpack that in four different ways, of, of ways that you can invest your life Ways that you can walk out those God, good works that God has called you to. Um, ways that you can make your life poetry, in a sense. Um, and we'll, we'll give you four different ideas, four ways to invest your, your life. But I wanted you to know up front what God has done for you. Because I truly believe God is, a, is like a blue chip God. You know what a blue chip stock is in the stock market? I, some people, I'm talking to someone, they, didn't, they weren't familiar with that term. So I looked up a definition of, of blue chip stock when you invest in the stock market. Listen to this. It says, a blue chip stock is the stock of a large, well-established, and financially sound company that has operated for many years. A blue chip stock typically has a market capitalization in the billions, is generally the market leader or among the top three companies in that sector, and it is more often than not a household name. Companies like, you know, IBM or things, General Electric. Blue chip stocks are companies that you would invest in that they've been around so long and they have such a good track record, you just go, okay, well, they're just solid. And I truly believe we have a blue chip God who has proven to us and has been around a long time and has proven to us that he's for us, that he loves us, and that we can reliably and, and with a lot of trust, we can invest in him and see a return in our, in our lives. When you pour your life into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are investing in a God who has already invested in you. You're investing in a God who has already made the first move towards you. The scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, you may feel distant from God today. You may feel like, man, I don't know, just trying church, um, new year, want to do some different things. I don't know about this God stuff. You may feel a distance in your soul right now from God, but I want you to know that even before you came here this morning, God has been making moves towards you. He has initiated a relationship. What if in 2018 you decided to reciprocate and say, oh no, I'm, I'm going to make moves towards him as well. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you're new to your faith, or new to church, I'm so glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad you decided to check it out. I'm glad you decided to see if there's anything real here. Any, it, it, does, does faith really matter? Does it matter in the people that are in this room? If I get in relationships, what will it be like? I'm glad you are investing in all of that. Just, you're, just you being here may be a huge step. Some people come into church, it's like, I will, I'm the last person that I thought would ever end up in, in a church at all. I'm glad you're here, and I, I want to double down on what I told you at the beginning. The best investment you can make with your life is to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But the challenge of that 
is if you get into a relationship with God, you're going to have to give up control of your life. And if we're all honest, that's the thing, the last thing we want to do is give up control. I, I, I don't like the idea that I'm not the one pulling all the strings and running the show of my life. I, I like the idea that I get to stay in control. Pastor and author Tim Keller says it this way, no one is neutral. People know instinctively that if Christianity is true, they will lose control and not be able to live any way they wish. And I bet if more people were honest, that's what they would say. They would say, it's not that I have intellectual problems with God, and maybe they they do have some. It's not that I just have emotional problems with God. It's not that I have baggage about the church, and maybe they do have all those things. It's not that I'm not annoyed with evangelical Christians that I've met all over the country or whatever. Like, maybe there's some legitimate beefs there, but at the end of the day, I think our real issue in our heart of hearts, deep into our soul, is we don't want to lose control. I want to rule me. And your first step towards God is to say, I'm not going to rule me. I'm going to let you have control over my life. If you are following Jesus, I want to challenge you with this, to examine your commitments to him. Um, We'll talk about four different ways over these next four weeks. But where you invest your love, you invest your life. And where are you investing your love? This is a challenge for me, not just as a pastor, but as a dad as a husband, where am I investing my life? Where does my faith show up in my family life, with my, with my spouse, with, with my children, at the, with school, with, with, with work? Where does my faith show up in, in all of these ways? Um, how am I investing my love in my life right now? I do know this. Return on investment does not happen by accident. You're not going to accidentally read the Bible this year. It's not going to fall open in front of you and you're going to start reading it, right? You're not going to accidentally show up at the gym. Oh, what do they do here? <laughs> they have, what are these machines? Huh, let me give it a shot. You're not going to accidentally start eating right, right? Like these are all intentional decisions you have to make with your life. And so what are you going to pour into this year? What are you going to invest in this year? Be intentional about it. Two quick ideas and then we're done. If you're a follower of Jesus or even if you're not, try this. Read the Gospels. I set reading goals at the beginning of each year and I try to read one or two chapters of the Bible each day. And so I'll just read a chapter from the New Testament and I've been reading through Job in the Old Testament which is a real pick-me-up. Um, if you know that book, it's, all, it's, it's full of depression and bad advice. Uh, but there's things to learn from that too. Uh, read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read who Jesus is. If you're going to follow him, if you're going to invest your life in him, read what, who he is and what he did and what he said. He, and, and if you've read it before, read it again. There's always, a, at, a, at another pass, there's always something new there to learn. Journal, write it down. Write a thought that you get. Write down what it prompts in your head, where God's spirit is talking to you. Do that this year. Just start, you know, pick up Matthew. I'll just warn you, the very first chapter of Matthew is a little dry, but it picks up after that. So just start there. Um, and, and, uh, and, and let God grow your faith through that. So number one, just read. This is a start, an investment, right? Um, and, and, and secondly, just be here. Just commit to being here. We're going to do five weeks on this ROI thing, and then we're going to jump into uh, reading through the book of Colossians in the New Testament, and there's a lot of richness there. There's a lot of great things that we can pull out of that, and we're going to do that through Easter after we're done with this series. And just commit to being here. Just 90% of life is showing up, right? Like, commit to be here, to learn, to grow, to invest in this thing. 
Look, our culture, the five things I was telling you about, our culture screams those things at you five plus hours a day. This is what life is about. This is what matters. This is where we should be investing. Church is an hour a week, right? You're not going to undo five hours a day of the screaming with one hour a week. But it's a start, right? One hour a week to come here and sing the songs, the words of the songs remind us of who we are, to pray the prayers, to take communion together with other believers, to see people around you and remind yourself that you're not crazy, to, to hear the word taught. Just invest here um, each week. It's not everything, but it, it, it's, it's a start, and, and it's a touch point, and it's a way to weekly recenter. Make a commitment to show up, because where you invest your uh, love, that's where you're going to invest your life. And, and I truly believe that if you'll invest in God this year, there will be an incredible return on that in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for the uh, opportunities to invest here, the, the ways that you've called us. And God, I just thank you right now for your grace and how you have made the first move towards us. God, I pray if, if there are people in the room that don't know that, that have never given their lives to you, I pray that today will be a turning point, that they will write down their connection card, they'll, they'll reach out to get a conversation or to get baptized or to start following after, uh, to following after you, and that we can start talking about that with them. Um, and God, for those in the room who are believers and who know Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, they, they're familiar with it, I pray that today is a reminder of, of who we are and what God has, what, our, what you, God, as a gracious, loving Father, what you have done for us. And I pray in 2018 we pursue you with all we have, um, with, our, with our whole lives, for our whole lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.